All right. You can turn to Second Kings, chapter thirteen. This is where I am in my reading. Hope it will be a blessing to you. One of the things about being able to record is going back and listening to yourself. And oh gosh, it's a mistake. <laughs> Because I did, you know, I don't purposely mean to get all riled up, but I just seem to. And I was talking with my brother-in-law, when uh, son-in-law, when we were packing up his their pod for moving, and we were talking about the sovereignty of God and different things. And before I knew it, my arms are flailing, my voice is raised. It's like I don't, you know, it just is such a natural part of me. And but that, so I don't know how to. You know, I, I wrestle, should I try to calm myself down, be more sedate, what should I do? So, just bear with me, it just comes. And I was thinking last night, I think it was last night laying in bed about this, that the difference now is when I was pastoring, I preached three times a week, and they were different messages, so this thing inside of me that needs to come out, came out kind of regularly, so it wasn't maybe as effervescent, but now when I preach once every two weeks, I have like three sermons that I've already worked on, you know, and, and so when I finally come, it's like the can of Coke sitting there looks real good, but the guy just before you dropped it on the floor and you didn't know, he go, <laughs> so I feel like a can of Coke that's been shaken, and out it comes, so anyway, at least I want to acknowledge that, you know, I don't do this on purpose. I think the best I know it's me. Even going back to college, I was very effervescent, and I never spoke in front of anybody. But the one thing that excites me is God, Yeshua, His Word. You know, and so when I have an opportunity to share, it just kind of comes out. All right, now we're going to look today at the life of Elisha. We're going to read the end, go back to the beginning. Somehow I hope I can condense it to work through because I want to come back to the end again and then talk about the ending. Alright, so I'm entitling this Elisha in Loving Memory. Elisha in Loving Memory. So let's read in second King, well let's pray first. Father, I ask that you will bless. Um, I ask, Father, that you'll be in charge of what comes out of my mouth. That's not dumping it on you and excusing myself, but I, I really am wanting to have more of self removed and more of you shining forth. And my desire is to glorify Yeshua, and I just don't want to be in the way. But on the other hand, I think we're all made in a certain way, and what is in comes out. So I ask that you be pleased. I ask that above all that you will take your word and minister into all of our hearts and minds, and that it will make a difference. I don't want to just come punch the clock, punch out when we leave, we've done our duty, and we've looked at this book, managed to keep our awake, self-awake while we did, and leave no different. I don't want that. And if, if nobody else has changed, I want me to be changed, Father. So work your change in all of us. We're told in your word that you're in the process of conforming us into the image of Yeshua. I, I don't know, but I think probably all of us have quite a ways to go yet. So, I don't want this to be an exercise in futility. 
I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will take the truth of your word and you bring it home as you know sees fit in ways unbeknownst to me because it's your word. It's alive. It's living. And I trust it into your hands and that you will take even something that I don't say and that we do read and that you will accomplish your will today. In Yeshua's name, amen. So, um, 2 Kings 13, we're going to read 14 uh, to the end of the chapter, and then we're going to kind of move along, go backwards, and uh, actually go backwards into the, in the book and Bible, and then move forward. All right, so now, all right, so uh, verse 14. Now, Elisha was falling, fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elijah put his hands upon the king's hand. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of Jehovah's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hast thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. And Elisha died. <laughs> I don't think he died right then, but I mean, that's all, basically the last words we get out of him. And, you know, how would Elisha, I'm just saying this, I'm going to finish and we'll go on, but in case I forget, how would Elisha have said that? Calm and sedate? You know, I know if it was me, even though he's aged, if I could move and flail something, I'd be moving and flailing something and yelling. Because it says, the man of God was wroth with the king and said, you should have smitten five or six times. <laughs> Then hast thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it. So, 20. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming in of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that, behold, they spied a band of men. And they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. You know, I'm going to... I'll probably preach when I want to preach at the end now to some degree, but I don't want to forget these things. So, again, laying in bed last night thinking about this, you know, maybe I should wait till later, but I don't know. I don't know how this is going to fold, so I'm just going to say that. You know, I, there's so many unanswered questions here that bother me. <laughs> Who is this guy? I'm flailing already. I don't mean to. You know, who is this man? We don't know his name, as far as I know. We don't know anything about him. You know, you talk about winning the lottery. <laughs> He's dead and buried. You know, or getting ready to be buried, or however it works out. And they, He's dead anyway. And they're throwing him in there, putting him in there, and hurry, and poof, he touches the body of Elijah, and goes back to life. Wow. 
And we don't know that guy's name. We don't know anything about this fella. So I was laying in bed and thinking, well, how come God doesn't give us more information? This is kind of where I am in my life with God. How come God? You know, in a good sense, I hope. You know, why not? You know, so, so we don't know who he is. God chooses not to highlight this, if I'm correcting this. You know, this is a big deal. And we're not told anything more. If you find out I'm wrong later, you can tell me later. But I don't know at this point anything more about this guy. And then I got thinking, how would this man have handled it now that he's alive? <clears throat> you know, would he have gone on the, the, the talk show circuit? <laughs> would he have written a book about his near-death experience? You know? And that got me thinking on, I don't know where you people are in this, if I make people mad, but I don't give much credence to these I died and came back stories. I just don't. There's just something with me that doesn't ring true. I don't care if the guy's lost. I don't care if the person says they're saved. I'm not sure, and I'm talking off the top of my head because I'm thinking this last night, I don't see that kind of response from these people like this guy in Lazarus. Uh, the widow of Nain, was it, that Jesus Yeshua touches the coffin and he comes to life, right? And talk to me. Do we hear any more about these people? I'm just off the top of my head. I can't think of anything. They don't write any books. I'm, this is Warren's vent, okay? They don't write any books. They don't go on the talk show circuit, at least as far as we know in the Word of God. And God doesn't seem to highlight this experience, the one that gets highlighted is Yeshua and his resurrection. So I don't know, agree, disagree, don't care. But this is, you know, I just was laying a bit thinking about this. This is so interesting, God. I want more information. And then my mind started going crazy with this, so I gave you my crazy thinking. So verse 22. But Hazel, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. And Yehovah was gracious unto them and had compassion on them, and he... And had respect unto them. Why? Because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And would not destroy them, neither cast he them from his presence as yet. I love that, as yet. So Hazel, king of Syria, died, and Ben-Hadon, his son, reigned in his stead. And Jehosh, the son of Jehoahaz, took uh, again out of the hand of Ben-Hadon, the son of Hazel, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz, his father by war. Three times did Joash beat him and recovered the cities of Israel, just like the times he struck struck the weapon. So that's the end of his life. And I'm going to come back to an aspect of this again later. I kind of said some of the stuff I wanted to, but I want to come back to something else later. So what I want to do is, is get us to have a brief overview of Elisha, because this is no ordinary person. Um, although he is an ordinary person, when, when we find him, he seems to be very ordinary. But God comes, touches his life, is a successor to Elijah, is used by God, and the way it all ends just fascinates me, and that's where I want to come back to. All right, so hopefully I can keep this to where I don't blab too much. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 19. So this is where we meet Elisha. It's a, it, to me, it's a wonderful story. I, I just like this. To me, this story is full of hope for the average guy. Whether or not Elisha was just the average guy, again, I don't know if there's a whole lot of details. So, you know, I was also thinking a bit last night about preaching. It's like sometimes I just reveal my ignorance because I just kind of speak and hope 
hopefully I'm remembering what I'm remembering correctly. So we meet Elisha, and, and this is just, to me, this is beautiful. So, so what we have here is uh, Elijah flees from Jezebel. Uh, Elijah goes to the mountain cave and, and meets with God, and God says, why are you here? And, you know, you know uh, he says, I've been very jealous, verse 14, of Yehovah Elohim of hosts, because the children of Israel, blah, 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 I'm the only one left, they seek my life. So God says to him, you know, go stand out in front of the, the mouth of the cave or wherever it is. I'm trying to look at it. And uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, and, and, you know, all these marvelous things are happening. And, and God's not in any of it until you get to this still small voice. And it seems to me saying, it's almost like Zechariah, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So I think God's trying to show him it's not going to be necessarily any overt anything. It's just I'm going to do this, this subtle work and, and uh, carry out my will. So you go through all that. Verse 18, I have left me 7,000 Israel, all the knees which have not bailed, bowed in the veil, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So, 19. So he departed thence uh, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle on him. Wow, this is, whoa, what a day. You know, you wake up in the morning. I'm, this is all me. I won't say this anymore. So you understand it's all me. You wake up in the morning. You're going to go do your work, not anticipating that this incredible moment in time is going to happen where Elijah comes walking by, casts his mantle on him and says, hey, your life is never going to be the same. From this day on, you're going to be with me. Let's go. And, you know, he, he's faithful to doing what he should be doing, which is kind of menial, right? He's going to work in the morning, punching the clock. And God sees faithfulness in the little things, and for whatever reason, chooses him to be the successor to Elijah. So this is like, you know, this is a wonderful day. All right, so... Uh, 20, and he uh, left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back, for what have I done to thee? In other words, I think he's saying, Listen, you, you grasp what I've done to you. If you need to go ahead and, and say goodbyes, go ahead. But remember, come back. You know what I'm doing to you. So verse 21, he returned back from him, took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Wow. Don't you wish that was you? You know, not, not that I want this now, but back in the day, it would have been great if Lester Roloff had come up to me and sought me out one day and said, Hey, Warren, you're the man that I want to take up this ministry, you know, when I'm dead and gone. Come, be a part of this. You know, I don't know the background of what it would have been like, but the thought, at least as I think of it, to wake up every morning knowing that this hero of mine in the faith I'm going to be walking and talking with him every day and in his presence and learning from him and seeing how he prays, how he lives his life, how he gets up in the morning, what he does with the word of God, how he handles it, you know, see him. You know, to have the privilege of being 
Lester Roloff's assistant pastor. That would have been awesome. Well, that's what happened to Elijah. All right, now, let's go up to 2 Kings chapter 2. Here are the beginnings, all right, of, for Elisha. And we're going to read uh, chapter 2, um, the whole chapter, all right, and not say a whole lot, but we, we need to see. This is kind of getting us into it. Then what I'm going to do after this is we'll just flip our paper, pages in our Bible, and I'll show you what the outline, so you get a, a general overview of the cool things that he did, all right? So this is his beginning, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass when Yehovah would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha uh, from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for Yehovah hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As Yehovah liveth, and as thy soul liveth, you're not getting out of my eyesight. And that's basically what he's saying. I'm not going to leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that Yehovah will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yeah, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for Yehovah has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As Yehovah liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that Yehovah will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here, for Yehovah has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As Yehovah liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they two went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they two went over on dry ground. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Now, I'll tell you what the general meaning for this is given by everybody. Now I'm going to tell you what I think it is. Most think that this has to do with like the blessing of the first born where the firstborn got the double portion. So basically, he's saying to Elijah, uh, Elisha, yes, you are the man, you are the one to make that known uh, to you and to everybody else. You get a double portion. So he's going to, we're going to read this in a little bit. But this is what I think, personally, this is what I think Elijah's saying. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Um, I think he's saying, um, Elisha's saying, hey, I'm half the man you are. If I'm going to do what I'm expected to do following your footsteps, I need a double portion. Now, I hope I'm saying that right. But that's how I would say it. You know, if I if Elijah just said to me, hey, Warren, here's my man, so you're going to follow after me. I'm thinking, wow. Lester Ross says, Warren, you're, you're the man. Here's, here's the mantle. Follow me. Take up the ministry while I'm gone. I'd be saying, I'm no Lester Roloff. How in the world am I supposed to do this? I need a double portion, right? I think, for me, this is what I think. It's probably not 
the right answer, but for me, this is how I read it. And, and I just love that. I mean, I think there's a level of humility in this where he says, you know, it, well, I'm going to speak too long. But anyway, take that wherever you want to go with it. Verse 10. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is Yehovah Elohim of Elijah? You know, I love that. God, are you going to work in me like you worked in him? Where are you? You know, kind of like Gideon. We've heard all the great stories. Are you going to do it again? You know, yes, I've seen it exactly what Elijah's done, man. We just, he parted the waters. We came over here and poof, he just took off. I had the mantle. I'm standing now. God, are you going to do it again? Uh, and when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. <laughs> you know, Again, was he somber? Me, I'd be thinking, oh, look at this. You know, Elijah just did it. We walked over, and that was cool. Now, I just did it walking back. I mean, I would be beside myself. I'd be like, I'd be like um, Naomi. Just skipping. I'd be so happy. I mean, you know, uh, I, you know, sometimes, I don't know, we dress these guys up in so much solemnity. I want to believe it's like, wow, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. I can't believe that was going to happen. <laughs> right? You know, excited in what God can do in and through us if some people have a little bit of faith in us and we can trust God to use us even though we're half the people of what has gone before us. Right? God is still God. With him, nothing is impossible. He can still use Warren who's nowhere close to Lester Roloff, and give him what he needs to do what God wants Warren to do. If Warren will just get out of the way, take the mantle, and have faith to split the waters and say, come coming. Right? Gosh. Do we not serve a big God? The Israelites limited God by their lack of faith, we're told. I am learning so much how I am limiting God if you know what I'm saying? Because my, I just can't trust. Oh, how would you have been picking up this mantle? I know I was going to say all this. You pick up this mantle. You've just seen this incredible thing. I'm going to pick that. You're going to have to get back across. So you have, am I going to swim? Is there one of those boats that you can get on where they pull the, what is it? A ferry. Is there a ferry that I can hop on? You know? Where's the nearest canoe? Where's Luke? Can he sail me across? You know, all these options and, you know, can how, you know, so now you're Elijah's replacement at the water. 
scared to death, right? The, the worst thing that can happen is splash. <laughs> oh, these other guys are watching. That was a bust. <laughs> it took faith. It took faith. You know, Elijah, through God's direction, saw something in this man, called him from this task of plowing oxen, and now Elisha's standing by the river, and it splits. Oh, that I had that kind of simple faith, if it's simple. 15, and when the sons of the prophets, which were to view it, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, whoa, the spirit of Elijah surely is on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said unto him, Behold now, there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master. You know, I just, this is to me, this is like, how can we still be so stupid? You know, they want to do the same thing with Moses. Let's go search for the body. Well, this is miraculous thing, Terry. All the stuff, he goes up to heaven. Maybe God dropped them. I don't know. What are they thinking? <laughs> right? Maybe Elisha fell out because he wasn't holding on tight enough. I don't understand. Let, let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master. Lest peradventure the spirit of Yehovah had taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, no. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, go ahead. They sent therefore fifty men, and they sought three days, but found him not. And when they came again to him, for he tarried at Jericho, he said unto them, Didn't I tell you, don't go? I don't know if any, this is what comes to my mind, not necessarily a good illustration, but the, this cherry go. Have anybody ever seen the, the, the western uh, purgatory? <laughs> yeah, purgatory. I love it. It's, it's, it's. Not necessarily recommended, it's, but it's basically all these famous outlaws are in purgatory. You know, it's a Catholic, basically based movie, so I'm not too keen on that. But anyway, I can set that aside. I love it. So they're evidently in purgatory. So they get this second chance, and they're somehow they get to this old western town, and they all live there for a period of time until God determines, yes, you've done enough penance. You've proved yourself. You're not a bad person. If you can spend 10 years here or whatever it is and not kill, shoot, be mean to somebody, then, I'm gonna, then you've paid your penance, and you can go to heaven. So at the end, without going through the whole story, the, so you, you see, so, so in comes this um, horse, and horse and carriage, you know, the, the stagecoach looking thing. And guy's driving it. And at the end of the story, the, the guys that don't think they can get in are going to get in because they killed somebody. God says, you know, you can come in. You did a good deed. So they get in the thing. And, the, and it, it takes off. And some people are still watching this one guy that finally just turns into dead. But now he's alive in purgatory. Watches it take off. And, you know, I thought, you know, this is like Elijah, Elisha, going in chariot. You know, what did they, nobody's sitting there thinking, gosh, I hope they don't fall out of that and die. You know, sometimes we are so stupid. Sometimes we are unable to trust God with the stuff he has told us to trust him with. We still have to go search. We still have to question. We still have to doubt. We still have to wonder. We waste all this time when God has made it pretty evident in his word what he wants us to do as we act out our life of faith. All right, so, now, um, 
this here, this next section is really the beginning. And then we're going to go through, I'm just, we won't read much more after this, but we will go to the passages and I'll just show you. But this is, now he gets going, right? Verse 19. And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord saith, but the water is not, and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith Jehovah, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren Land. So the waters were healed unto this day according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. Now I just find that really interesting. You know, this is, this is not on a big grand scale, and that's kind of what I want us to see. Some of the things, miracles that Elisha did were singular, meaning it's just a person or two. And, and some were a little bit bigger than that. And, and I like the fact that sometimes, so I end up reading this stuff and asking questions. Like, yeah. You just took your mantle and you, you split the waters. Can't you just take the mantle and smack it again and, and make it all better? No, he comes up with this elaborate plan where he says, uh, when in a spring of the waters, oh, bring me a new cruise, put salt therein. Now, I know there's probably some spiritual meaning behind this, and I've read a ton on it, and everybody has their opinion. I don't know what the answer is. Sometimes God uses means. You know, I've often wondered <clears throat> when the blind man comes to Yeshua, why did he just heal him? Did he spit in his eyes or something? Oh yeah, it makes the blood, spits and it makes uh, blood, makes uh, mud, puts it on his eyes. Go wash. <laughs> yeah, why? You know, you you can raise people from the dead, but who knows? And this is part of what I am wanting us to see that God moves and works. And what I'm seeing is these people don't question like I do. They don't necessarily always need to know the why. And so for me, this is what I'm learning. If if you're there yet, I never thought I'd be at, and I mean, I'm asking the why not in a bad sense that I doubt and question. It's just now, as we're entering into this new walk, and, and, we're, and, and stuff I've read a gazillion times over seems like now it's coming alive, and as it comes alive and starts to unfold, and my mind is giving more attention to it, there's probably something in here that I haven't seen, and so I've never really stopped and pondered why throw salt in the water. It's just, yep, great story, this is what Elijah did, move on. Now I want to know, I hope out of a good heart, God, I don't want to miss anything. Um, I don't want to um, be looking for you to do always the miraculous by smiting the water. Sometimes, God, you might use simple means. Sometimes you might use a, a person that I'm not expecting to be used. You are going to accomplish what you want to accomplish in and through whoever and whatever means you, you choose or don't choose. All right? So that's that one. Now, the very next one, I love this. You know, you talk about how not to start your ministry. Verse 23. And he went up from thence unto Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. And there's a whole bunch of stuff on that you can read. I, I don't know. Was he bald or not? Is it just a slam? It's definitely a derogatory thing. You know, young kids disrespecting their elders. And he turned back. And looked on them. You know, you've never met Lester. I wish you had met him. If you don't memorize these verses, you're either backslidden or mentally retarded. <laughs> you don't want that look. Well, he turns back and looks on them. 
and cursed them in the name of Yehovah. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tear forty and two children of forty and two children of them. And he went from thence to Mount Carmel, and from thence he returned to Samaria. Oh my. Somebody would be in trouble today. You just don't start your ministry by killing people, especially young kids and children. And it was fun to read some of the commentators on this. Well, some of the older guys were just very blunt. The parents should have taught them better than that. And they deserved what they got. And on top of that, Yehovah was the one that did this, so I should didn't kill them. He cursed them in the name of Yehovah, and then out come these two bears. Well, maul them. You know, um, Nancy, you know, we, we drive buses with cameras. You know, lucky for him, there was no camera there. <laughs> Nope, I don't know what happened. These two bears came out smart. I can't figure it out. I'm out myself. I'm at a loss. I don't know what to tell you. You know. Oh, the children. The children. The children. You know, they'd be sending Elisha to counseling. The lawsuits. He'd have no ministry. He would be banned and disgraced. And probably the ones that would be doing it most were the fellow Christians. So start your ministry with pretty much getting a lot of people mad at you. It's not a way to build a congregation. You know, he didn't send out the, you know, this is the exact opposite of having a bus ministry to bring the kids in to Sunday school. No, I don't want you guys. Even though he didn't do it. But you know what I'm saying? You're going to mess around and disrespect the man of God. See, we used to have that in America, in our country. You don't disrespect the policeman, the man of God, uh, the postman, and there's always somebody else in there. Teachers. You, what? Teachers. teachers. Yeah, teachers, firemen. You know, quite, do they respect cops? By and large, no. Uh, do they respect preachers that get up there and preach the word of God? Well, they, you know, there's not as many as there used to be, but no. You know, this is a wonderful lesson. This is how God, I'm saying way more than I thought I was going to. How long have I been speaking? What's the stupid thing to say? Press the button. Oh, only a half hour. See how funny it is. Only a half an hour. All right. But somebody has to teach somebody. You know, Ananias and Sapphira. Boom, boom. They're dropping like flies. You know, um, they, the, the golden calf thing. And who's on the Lord's side? Yeah, and so the Levites come on over. And they say, all right, take this one go out. I don't care who it is, family members, brothers, sisters, children. If they are not on my side, you take it and kill them. So he heals the water, and uh, the bears come out. All right now, the rest of it I kind of want to focus on quickly, and and then get to where we want to go. All right. So now, what we're going to look at is how God singularly worked through Elisha. Meaning, sometimes it was just an individual, sometimes it was a little bit bigger of a group. But I don't know if you have questions. I, I want to know. And I'm learning I don't need to know. 
the one I'll mention is, is the, the widow's uh, pot of oil. And this is what got me thinking on all of this until I came to the end. I kind of let my thinking and questions go till I got to the end that we're going to get to. Now, there cried a certain women, woman of the wives of the son of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear Jehovah, and a creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And we won't go through the whole story, but basically she gets enough oil to go sell and take care of the family. Now, does anybody have any questions at this point as you look at the story? Anything, anything come to your mind that if you were to freeze that moment in time, step back and say, All right, here's first, the, there was a certain woman crying, un, uh, of the wives of the prophets, crying unto Elisha, saying, your servant, my husband's dead. You know that he feared Jehovah. And on top of that, the creditors come um, uh, to take away my two sons for bondmen. Then you get to the end of the story, and now she has enough oil, miraculously, mind you, to go out and pay her debts and take care of, you know, living now. Does anybody not have any questions? You know, Nobody has questions. All right, I can tell you because you're all wondering what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, why did the guy die in the first place? You know, if God can miraculously give enough oil to pay off the debt, why not just keep the husband alive? <laughs> Wouldn't that be easier? Why does he have to die? He's a servant of Jehovah. Kill all those other bad people, God. And I mean, she really believed this, and evidently Elisha knew it. He was truly a servant of Jehovah. He's in debt. He doesn't leave enough provisions for his wife to be able to survive after him, because maybe he's not expecting to die. He dies, we're not told. How he dies, he just dies. Why does that happen? You know, I sit back and say, God, I don't need to know the reason why, but if you're going to go through all the trouble of getting all these pots so that the oil can just miraculously keep flowing and, and, and then there's not enough pots and now go sell it but this woman's still a widow and these children still have no father you know it's like uh, Martha and Mary say Lord if you had come earlier he wouldn't have died somehow we have to accept in the midst of all our unanswered questions that what God is doing, he's doing for his glory, and sometimes down the road for a purpose that we don't know, and we have to be content with that. Right? There's going to be bad news coming into our lives. We're going to question God, that's okay. But if we don't learn to somehow be like this widow and these two sons that can go on and live and trust God after my husband's gone and dad's gone, when bad times come and they will, we're going to just falter and you know, fall apart. These stories aren't here just because, wow, that's really cool what Elisha did. We have to look at it like, this is living. What does God teach me? And you have to come to the Word of God, and it's okay to have questions. You have to think about what you're reading. Just don't read it and be done with your reading. I still believe God is speaking to us, but it's through His Word. All right. So then you get into, starting at verse 8, I'll just tell you what they are. Uh, the Shunammite's son. 
that's just another wonderful, it's another wonderful story. Um, I think what I like um, is, oh, I didn't mark it down, but she says, uh, 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 let me see. Oh, verse 28. Then she says, she's talking to Elisha. Did I desire a son of my Lord? Because Elisha came and said, at this time you're going to have children. The child lives for a while and dies. He's dead now. And I just love what she says here. Um, uh, 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 caught him. Oh, verse 27. When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi, the servant, if you've read my blog, you know who he is, uh, came near to thrust her away, and he said, let her alone. God's hid this from me. I don't know what's going on. So she says, did I uh, desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And, you know, I don't know. She's, she has questions, you know. All right, so then the, the next one is uh, chapter 4, verse 38. This is poison in the pot, or death in the pot. I just love this. And another one of these things that I don't know what to do with. And then you have uh, verse uh, uh, 42 to 44. You have the feeding of 100 men. It makes you think of the feeding that Yeshua did miraculously. Uh, Naaman, I love this one. I wrote about this sort of in my blog. This is another incredible one where he has leprosy. The leprosy goes away. Uh, then you get to chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. The axe head, you know, alas, I'm, I'm, you know, he's chopping away. They're going to build a new place, I think it is, for, yeah, it's too small for all these guys, the prophets, sons of prophets. We need someplace bigger. Let's go build a place. They're out there. Some guy borrowed an axe. He's chopping wood. Whoop, there goes the axe head. And to the water, he said, hell, that's my master, the axe head. I borrowed it. What am I going to do now? Interesting. I wonder if, and I, and I don't mean this to sound like I'm saying it negatively, but I think he had, the guy using the axe had a responsibility to make sure the axe head was secure on there. You know, he can't say, whoops, it fell off, I'm not to blame. And he, he takes responsibility. It's like, oh gosh, you know, I should have checked it in between swings or something. It's gone. But now, you know, Elisha takes a stick, puts it in there, and the axe head swims. Comes up. What's the point of that? I don't know. <laughs> we, we did have a speaker uh, when we were in college, Silas Fox, missionary to India for 50 years. He's at the end of the 50 years. He's no longer missionary. He spoke at, at our school. And he preached on this. And I don't know if it's right or not, but he likened it to the fact that Israel is now broken off, buried, and this is before Israel is a nation again, obviously, just many years ago, and uh, when we were in school. And, and, and he likened it to, to where, and this, this is, some of the professors took issue with his interpretation, but there's this passage, I forget where it is, that says, Thou art my battle axe. Well, he took it that Israel was going to be the battle axe. Others take it that it's going to be, I think, it's the king of Babylon that God's going to use to cut down his people. I went back and I read the passage a couple different times. You can go either way. But I like Silas's Fox interpretation, even though he got some professors to hit on him about this in class. You know, maybe you come up with a better answer. You know, I, I like this. Israel is, I'm going to have been kind of out of sight, under the water, just, just pretty much forgotten, forsaken. But they're going to come back again, and God is going to use them as his battle axe. I don't know. All right, then you get to uh, uh, chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. This is where he uh, blinds the army. 
This is another wonderful story. You know, this is one we've already looked at where uh, Elisha's servant wakes up and says, Whoa, look at it, we're surrounded. And, and Elisha prays and says, Lord, open his eyes can he, so he can see. And they see all these chariots encircling around him. And um, Elisha, I, I love this. This is for some of you ethic people. Elisha just flat out lies to them because they're looking for the... Uh, the king, and again, I just whatever, I forget where, what it was. But anyway, the army wants to go someplace, and Elisha lies to him and says, come with me. You know, and basically delivers them all over uh, as prisoners. Uh, incredible story. All right, so then you get to chapter 6, verse 24 through 8, 6. This is uh, the, the prophecy about famine. We won't get into that. Uh, uh, then you get 2 Kings 8, 7 through 15. He foretells Hazel's evil treatment of Israel. And then the last thing we see is chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Uh, he anoints Jehu as king of Israel. All right, so that's pretty much his ministry. That is his ministry. You know, basically, as I've outlined it, these 10 things plus the two that got him started with the, with the uh, water, throwing the salt in, and the, and the she-bearers. All right, so that's his ministry. Now, here's the thing that I am struck by. You don't hear anything anymore about Elisha until you get, let's go back to it, 2 Kings 13. I mean, you don't hear anything about this man. Nothing. He prophesies, or he, he uh, anoints Jehu, says he's going to be king of Israel. Last thing we hear. You come to 2 Kings 13 now, that was chapter 9, uh, 1 through 10. Now you come to here, 13, 14. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness yeah. wherever he died. And then verse 20, and Elisha died. Well, what happened in between? You know, he has this wonderful start to this ministry, and the next thing you know, he's terminally ill and going to die. He's terminally ill and going to die. I, I just, I, I, this is so comforting to me because, and the first time I, I really focused on this was when we were uh, serving in our first church here in South Carolina, and one of the people in the congregation died, and Pastor Green was gone, you know, and I had to do the funeral. Well, I don't know how to do a funeral. I have no earthly clue. So I'm on the phone with him back and forth, you know, what to do. And oh, Brother Warren, you'll be fine. Just trust God. And, you know, it's just, his spirit so wonderful. Here's what you do. You know, pray, and, and God will bless and use you. And so, I, I'm, I don't know if I was reading through this text at the time, but this is what I preached on. Now, Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness wherever he died. God's people sometimes die of sickness. Even Elisha died from a terminal illness. He doesn't always deliver. Elijah, he hits the jackpot. Poof! He doesn't even die. Elijah, on the other end, not only does he not get transported and miss death, he has a terminal illness. You know what could you know what, what if I'm Elisha, I'm saying, well God, come on, what, what about me? You did this cool thing and beamed up, you beamed up Elijah to the mothership, why not me? You mean I'm going to have to kind of spend, and I'll tell you how long, a long period of time in obscurity, basically doing nothing, and then the next thing you know, I'm dying of a terminal illness? Come on, how's that look, God? You know, it was great when we started out smacking water, and everybody thought, wow, he's a guy. 
You know, everybody's probably thinking the chariot's going to come from him. You know, no, no fiery chariot to zap him up. You know, what do we make of this stuff? This is just so cool. You know, we want to be the people in Hebrews 11, the first part. Women receive their husbands back to life and all this great marvelous stuff. We don't want to be in the others that were tortured, lived in dens and caves, treated like the offscouring of the world, had to live in animal clothing, you know, scraping along. You know, I can praise God if I'm in the first half of Hebrews 11. When I'm sitting in that cave, my wife and me and, and the kids are, are all hungry. We don't know where our food's coming from. Our clothes, we don't have anything anymore. We're wearing what animal stuff. And we're in a stinking cave. And I don't even have a bathroom to have my devotions in all by myself. <laughs> Who wants to be Elijah going to heaven? <laughs> Anybody want to be Elisha? Dying of a terminal illness? No. All right, now, we hear nothing of Elisha for about 45 years until he's dying in 2 Kings 13. So the last thing we know is he anoints Jehu. I, I can't give you a timetable because I'm not smart enough. I, this is just, I read this multiple from multiple sources and just wrote it down and I'm giving it to you. 45 years of... What in the world did he do? I can't handle that. Remember, the only other time so far that we've seen where this sort of thing happened is with Samuel, and Samuel died. You know, this great ministry, going full guns blazing, 45 years of obscurity. I can't handle that. Honestly, I, I don't know how to handle that. You know, and that's been part of my struggle. All those years in the ministry... Finally, pastoring my, my church for 18 years <sighs> to obscurity. <laughs> you know? But like Matthew Henry said about one other servant, servants of God who have served their usefulness, it's okay to enjoy the time of solitaire. Just rest in it. Be at peace. So, 45 years. So, evidently, it's been 60 years since his calling, you know, when he was called. So, 45 years since the anointing of Jehu, but the whole period from the calling to his death, you know, hit 60 years since his calling. So, they, they, they put him some in the late 80s, age-wise, and some in the low 90s. So, he lived, what? I can't do the math. I'm never, what is... What is 90 minus um, 45 years? One, 45. 45. You know, he's at the peak. Man, he's on a roll. This is awesome. Nothing. Nothing. And all you get, Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness where he died. Verse 20. And Elisha died and they buried him. Is that all we're going to get? No fanfare, no great eulogy, no Elisha and loving memory sermon. Are you, are you, can, can, Warren, can you be satisfied with 45 years of obscurity and the next thing, every, nobody knows what's going on except you're terminally ill and you die. No. 
telling you, no. This is why I love this stuff, because it stretches us to the core of who we are, if we'll actually, as I do it for me, take this book and not just simply read it. God, what am I supposed to learn from the fact that he throws salt into the water and it's now healed? What am I supposed to learn from that poor wife of the prophet of, of you who, who dies, leaves the wife in debt, and she's poverty-stricken and doesn't know where the next meal is going to come from? What am I supposed to learn from that? This is not just a book. This is the living Word of God. And I need to create a hunger in you to want to know what God has in this book for you. Or we might as well just shut our stinking doors, go home, and quit putting on a facade. But you know what? I think we're afraid to meet ourselves in this book because this book is a mirror. Wow, I don't like what I see. Well, that's the point. How do I fix it, God? You can't. What do I do? I'm undone. Good. Look unto Yeshua. Because without him you can do nothing. And that's where God wants to get us. So, when you reach that point, and you go into obscurity for 45 years, and you get sick with a terminal illness, and you're wondering, God, there was such a bright future for me in the last 45 years. Why don't I? And then you die? But the cool thing is, he had no idea that God was going to use him after his death. Right? How cool is that? He, he's buried. Some guy gets thrown in, touches him. What just happened? And he's dead. He's dead. Though being dead, he yet speaketh. And you know what? <clears throat> Even though Elisha had 45 years of obscurity, how many years has it been since he died? Thousands. He's still speaking to us. He had no idea. Had no idea. We have no idea. If we can be faithful in times of obscurity, in times when we're down, in times when we have uh, illness that's going to kill us, in times when you just your heart is wrenched because the people of God around you are suffering and going without, and they're questioning God, they don't understand. And how come? And the widow's wife is crying to you, saying, "How come? Why? Why? My husband served God. How could God do this?" And your heart is ripped apart and broken for that person. If you can just trust God that even though our life seems like it's a nothing life, if we give it over to God day by day, he's doing something. And you know what? You might die, not get a wonderful eulogy at your funeral, but maybe somebody that's alive will bump into you even though you're dead and your life will change them even though you're dead. Now, what's got me thinking about this is, you know, I write these blogs, which I don't know if anybody reads. I don't even think you guys read. Well, Judy reads it. You don't get credit. Because I ask her to read it, make corrections, and see what she thinks. So basically, I'm preaching sermons that nobody's going to hear, and I'm writing a blog that nobody reads, except for that one or two person that write back and smack us in the head. <laughs> Which is sort of what my blog's about. I don't know if you read it yet. 
So, what has my life really accomplished while I've been living? Nothing close to Elijah or Elisha. And I can't really look back and say there's anything magnanimous other than I, I made it. My one thing was God helped me to get through my years in the ministry without screwing up and I'll be happy. Because there were so many pastors that I knew some personally that just did that thing. And I knew I was just as human as the next guy. You know, so my one claim to fame is fame was part one in the ministry. I still have now I'm back in, it's like it's all over again. I gotta get to the end of whatever I'm doing now without screwing up. Is I didn't screw up. But what does what has my life really accomplished of any lasting effect that I know of? I mean, everybody tells me, yes, honey, you changed the lives and kids are in you all those years in the ministry, you know, the church. Yeah, you go back to the church, those people are as bad. As they were when I got there, if not worse now. Some of them, not all. What have I accomplished? I don't know. So my hope now is maybe one day in the ruins of something, some archaeologist guy will find Luke's phone and say, I wonder what this is. And listen to a message. And maybe after I'm dead. Or somebody will stumble upon the blog. So the hope is... This life of ours, though seemingly insignificant at times, is not insignificant in the plans of God, because otherwise he wouldn't have bothered to save us. Did he just save us to be useless, not used, not impacting lives of people? No. If, if he did, he's stupid. <laughs> if he did, he's dumb. What kind of God is that? There has to be a reason why God saved me, saved you. But we look back and say, yeah, great. Yeah, here I am driving a school bus. I've been to college, you know, I've been in the ministry 25 years, I've preached to thousands of people throughout the years, hundreds and thousands of messages, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> Driving the school bus, pleading with God that somehow he'll still use me, unbeknownst, right? So what's the message? I don't know, take with it whatever you want. Make your own application. Please, I'm begging you. Let this book come alive. You don't know what you're missing. This is manna from heaven. Yeah, you know what? It's dry. You've read it several times. You know the story by heart before you start. To you, you're like the Israelites. Just save this manna again? No. So, that's it. Elisha. In loving memory. Father, just take this message, seal it. Again, the blessing is mine, if nobody else's, and I trust you will bless, because I've been challenged and encouraged and blessed by reading about this man, whose life I've read multiple times over the last 40 plus years, and it's never spoken to me like it has now, and encouraged and strengthened and caused me to see how glorious and magnanimous and how big you are. And through our infirmities and weaknesses, you seem to delight in showing your strength. When we are weak, as Paul said, then we are strong. So Father, if those of us that are here today and listening, maybe sometime, are saved, 
Help us to just fall afresh and anew at the feet of Yeshua and thank him for what he's done for us and thank you for saving us. And be grateful that you've not given up on us and you are still in the process of conforming us to the image of your son Yeshua so that we can be increasingly the light that lightens the world and be a testimony. And Father, help us to not accept the defeat that Satan sometimes brings along and just says, what's the point anyway? What's the point anyway? Why bother? He would love us to just give up at that time. We have to have faith that in 45 years of seeming obscurity, our life has meant something, will mean something, and even after we're dead, if you so choose, our life can bring to life new life into others. So anyway, that's it, Father. In Yeshua's name.